you probably recognize uh, this picture. You've more than likely seen a real-life example of driftwood. Uh, of course, driftwood doesn't start out as driftwood. Uh, driftwood began as a, as a tree somewhere with roots planted in the ground and uh, with branches and leaves, and it was alive. But then something happened along the way, and that particular piece of wood, that tree, made its way down and was carried by the water and eventually found its way in the, into the sea. And something happens to it along the way. It changes. We know that some of the change comes about because of erosion. And erosion typically has, uh, uh, it can come from wind and, and the power of the waves and even the sun with the heating and the cooling, the heating and the cooling can uh, cause it to be able to split apart and, and uh, look differently. And of course, those aren't the only forces that bring about driftwood. There are other forces, uh, a little harder to see. These are forces like gribbles. Gribbles are these tiny little bugs that live in the ocean, and they like to find wood, and they like to bore into the wood and eat the pulp. And of course, then there's also these uh, shipworms. Shipworms also live in the sea, which really makes going swimming in the sea so much more attractive, doesn't it? it these shipworms have these two little clam-like beaks at, the, at one end of them, and they just kind of gnaw their way in and create these holes and change driftwood from the inside then. And then you have your common bacteria, which uh, there's something to celebrate there, I guess. But so driftwood, what is it about driftwood that would connect with our conversation this morning? The idea of drifting, the idea of in the process of drifting, of becoming something different. Uh, people who look at organizations and maybe even individual lives or family groups or just any entity that would have some kind of basic core understanding of who they are or what their purpose is in this world. And, and there's this tendency to have mission drift, that the mission like driftwood just kind of moves down the, the river, just goes with the flow, and all of a sudden, instead of being focused and zeroed in on what they, they said was important, given enough time, given enough distractions, they end up becoming something different. It's possible to lose one's way to become something other. It's good for an individual or an organization, a group, a congregation from time to time uh, to take their focus and to work on overcoming and addressing any drift that might take place. Last spring as I was laying out sermon series uh, for the, uh, the remainder of the year that um, I thought that this would be a wonderful month for us to be able to do a little bit of that, to, to examine if there might be a little bit of mission drift, for us to have an opportunity to, to look at who we are and who we said we were some time ago when we spent time looking at Scripture and we said, this is, this is who we are. And to come back to that, to, to address any mission drift that might have taken place. And so this sermon series we're calling, This Is Us. This is us. We're going to take a look at our why, our habits, our what. And along the way, we'll answer other questions like who we are or 
uh, what might be important right now, and some of the other just questions that come up in those, uh, when we look at such things. Today, we'll be looking at our why. Why do we exist? And so it was a number of years ago that when a team of people from our own congregation set themselves aside, were set aside by the church, and they began to wrestle with, well, gosh, how would we put this into words? What, what can we identify that God would say, this is why I have Northminster where it is in this time and in this place, and that we could own up to that. We could, we could grab hold of it. We could let that be the wind that fills our sails. We could let it be the rudder on the ship that guides us. It could be our keel that would hold us steady, that we would have a good understanding of why we exist. What is our core understanding, our core purpose in this world? They came up with some words, and not only for the, our why, but for the other questions, and they brought them to our, our elder board, our session, and that was discussed, and little changes made here and there, and finally it was approved and set aside as, well, this really is, this is who we are. So today we will look at our why we exist to represent the love of Christ, I know we talk a lot about in, up, and out. That's our, our, how we move forward. That's a way of describing our strategy and the steps we take in moving forward. But behind that, under that, is this why of we exist to represent the love of Christ. Our passage today, because we want to be grounded in Scripture, is John 15, verses 9 through 12. John 15, 9 through 12. I encourage you, open the Bible. We have for you in the row, the Bible you brought with you, whether it's on your phone or a printed one, we'll also put it on the screen. If you're participating in worship at home, we encourage you too as well to grab uh, your Bible there. John 15, verses 9 through 12. Hear the word of God. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. We're going to read that one more time. And maybe it could be helpful that if we're new to this passage, that to know that this is a, a, a conversation that Jesus was having with his followers, that last week of his life, he knew he was going to the cross, that, that he was empowering them with understanding, and we have it coming to us in John's gospel. Let's uh, receive this, these words once again. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. May God bless the reading of his word. May God show his favor upon us as we come under his word today. Well, the first thing I want us to talk about is this idea of being beloved. Beloved. If someone were to come, uh, come up to you and ask you, maybe somebody you trusted, 
so that the conversation could be a full one. And they were to ask you the question, what defines you? How would you respond to that? You know, people have evidence in your life that they could look at, not just your words. They could look at our lives and they could see uh, where we spend our time. They could, they could pay attention to, to how we might spend our money. They could look at the groups that we hang out with. They could look at the groups we don't hang out with. They, they could look at how we invest ourselves during our, our working hours. There's evidence around us of how we truly define ourselves, who we think we are, what we value. There's something that Jesus wanted his followers to understand in terms of what, what it was, what it is that defines them. He begins, at least in the section of Scripture that we uh, have before us here this morning, he says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. You think about the love that the Father has for the Son. There are these times during the, uh, the telling of the gospel, the gospel story, uh, events in Jesus' life that stand out. One is his baptism. So there was John the baptizer, the one who was uh, providing this uh, baptism of repentance and it was people of the time, the Jewish people of the time had already adopted kind of the, the ritual cleansing as part of their, their temple worship experiences. And here comes John saying, wait, we have a different baptism. It's not just a cleansing, not just part of a religion, but there's this relationship that we have with the Father, and, and we want to repent that if there's a pattern in our life that is not aligned with God, let's change our ways. And so Jesus comes to John and, and says, well, I want you to baptize me. And John, no, I, I, you should be the one baptizing me. And Jesus insists, no, this, this is something that needs to be done. And so John's baptizing Jesus. And as he's doing so, there's this voice from heaven that goes, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. The Father loving the Son. The Son, the beloved of the Father. The lover and the beloved. There's this, uh, there's this time uh, later in the life of Jesus, and Jesus goes up on the side of a mountain, and he brings along with him James and John and Peter. And, and as they're up there, this really uh, fantastical thing takes place. And if we were in Peter, James, and John's sandals, we, we would be like, I don't think I truly understand what's going on. For, as they stood there, they saw Jesus' face become as bright as the sun, and that his clothes became as white as light. And then appeared with Jesus, Moses and Elijah, and a cloud came over Jesus, and from the cloud there was this voice. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. The Father and the Son, the Lover and the Beloved. You think about it, the, the Trinity, that, that within the single God, the Father, Son, and Spirit, the one God, Father, Son, and Spirit, that from all of eternity that they have 
been loving upon one another. Love begetting love begetting love begetting love. In fact, there's this line in the prayer that we have in John's Gospel, chapter 17, where, where Jesus is praying to the Father. And in verse 24, he includes um, uh, these words. Uh, he says, from, the, from before the foundation of the world. He said, listen, that, can you show my disciples the glory that you have for me because you have loved me from the beginning from before the foundation of the world. Eternal love, the lover and the beloved. Then we find out that not only is this a love that the Father has through the Son, but that it's a love then that Jesus shares with us. Just as the Father has loved the Son, so Jesus loves us. Jesus loves his followers. In fact, there's this verse in the little letter of 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. It says, this is love. Not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the, the one who stood in for us at, at, uh, for our sins, that he died for us. This is love. Not that we love God, but that God loved us. The good news of this, that we're loved not for who we are or what, what we did or what we might become. It's not like there was some kind of characteristic about you or about me or about anybody that could earn this love, but that God choosing, we even have uh, teaching in Scripture that from the be before the beginning of time, from the foundations, from God choosing us even before we were ever born to receive His love the beloved. As the Son is the beloved of the Father, we are the beloved of the Son. We are the beloved of the Father as well. You are so loved. You are so loved. There is this uh, quote from a little book uh, by Henry Nouwen. If you want to follow up more on what we're talking about this morning, I encourage you. It's a wonderful little book, The Life of the Beloved by Henry Nouwen. He says in there, being the beloved expresses the core truth of our existence. It's who we are. It's who we are. Now, this understanding presents a certain challenge to those who are of a secular mindset. You see, a person of a secular mindset has to allow for there to be the other. The person of a secular mindset has to open the door or have the door open for them that there is this being that from the beginning of all time has loved. It's not that Christianity doesn't have evidence, that, that there is evidence. It's not that, that Christianity just requires everyone to take a blind leap of faith. There's wonderful evidence to back up scriptures and scripture and the stories behind it and and we can look at the evidence, but it still comes to that moment where is, there is that step of faith, that openness to the other, to the eternal lover, that we would understand ourselves being the beloved. Of course, it's not just a challenge to the secular mind. It can be a challenge to the religious mind. 
You can look back over the course of history and you can see the people of God where we have, adop- we have adopted more of a focus on our religion than we have on the relationship that God offers us. Within the church, we get excited about managing programs and, and wielding power and, and we end up looking a lot like the world around us. It can be a real challenge for us to understand our core identity as the beloved if we're playing the same game that everyone else in the world is playing. Of course, being the beloved can present a challenge for the faithful. Even if we do come to understand that Christianity is more about the relationship with God than it is about traditions and and church buildings and, and various programs, even if we come to that point of knowing that we are saved by Christ, It can be a challenge to understand and grasp our identity as the beloved because of our own brokenness. We can be overwhelmed with anxieties and insecurities, pridefulness. We can find ourselves running away, hiding, dealing with trauma. Even if we are choosing in response to God's love to be faithful, Understanding, grasping, and letting ourselves be defined by God's love for us can be a challenge. But Jesus wanted his followers to know. Just as the Father had loved him, so he loves them. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. You are beloved. You are beloved. So Jesus then goes on and says, abide in my love. He said, not only is this your identity, but I want you to soak it in. I want you to to live in it. I want this identity just to consume you, that it it would make its way through your pores and every recess of your mind and that you would abide in my love. Beloved. There's one more thing I want us to talk about before we get to our why, and that is joy. Joy. In verse 11, we read these words, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Joy. You know, in in the Bible, especially if we go back in the Old Testament, when we look at the words for joy, uh, in Scripture, it doesn't necessarily explore, you know, well, what do we mean by joy and, and what are, what's the theor- theoretical definition of it and, uh, or the existential definition of it. What we find is a, a, a large assortment of words that, uh, that speak to more the expression of joy. That people have these words, the Old Testament folks have these words of how they show joy in this world. And they talk about personal joy. It can be a joy around a a celebration of a birthday and different things in a person's life. But then it goes on to talk about communal joy, joy that we would share together as God's people. It's a theocentric joy, a a joy that's uh, centered around God. In response to the goodness of God and God's provision, there is joy, this positive exuberance welling up in us. We find in the Old Testament, not only is it a theocentric joy, a joy centered around God, but it becomes a messianic joy. 
There's this expectation that one day God would send the Messiah and the Messiah has come. And with them has come the very reason for joy. Salvation. Salvation for now and forevermore. And even as we talk about messianic joy, now that we know the Messiah has come and we look forward to his return when he will make all things new. Joy. Joy. In fact, one of the neat things about joy, it can be like a little light on a dashboard. It could be that, that when that joy light is dimming out and it's not as bright and we find that it's, it's, it's just not as full in our life, that can be an indicator that maybe we've drifted away from our identity as the beloved. The more we know, the more we accept, the more we define ourselves as the beloved children of God, the opportunity for that joy light to come and to burn bright increases. Joy. You are the beloved and you have joy. Jesus said, my joy I give to you. My joy, that your joy would be full. Beloved. Joy. Now, we need to know these things because we're about set now to go into the next part, our very reason for existing. But to go to there with the right understanding that there's a lover and we're the lover's beloved for all of eternity. And that as a result of that, we have joy given to us. It's with that love and that joy that we can turn to our very reason for existing. To represent the love of Christ. From love to love, from being loved to loving others. His command, love one another as I have loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. You know, you think about the stories of Jesus loving. Yes, he loved his, his disciples. They were his followers, and they didn't always do things very well, but even in the midst of that, Jesus continued to love them and, and to show them the way and to serve them and to come alongside them. But we have these other stories of Jesus loving others. The time when the leper came, the man who had leprosy came and knelt before him. And what did Jesus do? He, he reached out and touched the person with leprosy. You were supposed to do that. What if you caught it? What if you would become unclean? And Jesus reaches out and touches. How about the woman at the well? The story of the woman at the well in John chapter 4, it's a story of a Samaritan female. There are reasons upon reasons why a Jewish male should not be talking to a Samaritan female. And yet Jesus not only engages her, but engages her with the desire to share the good news to let her know the truth, not only for herself, but for those in her community, that she would take the good news of Jesus and go back and more people would come to know who he is, more Samaritans coming to know who Christ is. There's a story of the rich young man. I believe it's in Mark's version, but it says, and Jesus loved him. So there's this man who goes, listen, I've, I've kept all the commands. I've done all this stuff. What else must I do to be saved? And and Jesus looked at him and loved him. And they said, now go sell all your possessions. He struggled with it. 
I think we can make a good argument that, that part of his, a huge part of his struggle, if not the very core of his struggle, was that he put a lot of value, a lot of his own definition in his wealth. Oh, if he could only have been at that point of going, listen, I'm the beloved of God. My wealth is just a contingent point. It's just something, it's, it's just out there and I can let go of that because I'm the beloved of God. That's who I am, the eternal lover. I am eternally loved. I am the beloved of God, full of the joy that God provides. So these acts of representing the love of Christ are simply acts of offering friendship, of extending compassion, listening, encouraging with hope, essentially just coming alongside people I know not everybody's a fan of the Avatar movies. I am. Must like watching blue people, tall blue people. But there is this this saying that the Navi have. And in the story, the the Navi, these blue, tall people, um, they say, I see you. I see you. It was a way of conveying, you matter to me. I get you. I understand you. You have value before me. And to represent the love of Christ, Jesus showed that pattern. Man with leprosy, I see you. You're not lost on me. Woman at the well, I, I see you. You're not lost on me. To represent the love of Christ is to see people around us through the eyes of God, through the eyes of our belovedness, full of the joy that Jesus gives, then free to meet other people wherever they are with the extension of compassion. Jesus said, be my witnesses. Give witness to me when you're out in the world. In other words, as I have loved, you love. You are the beloved, just like Jesus said, just like I'm the beloved of the Father, you are my beloved. You are the beloved of the Father as well. Now go and love others. With the, with the love you have received. Be my witnesses. You do this too, to one another, to others, even to your enemies. Northminster, let's not lose our way. There can be things inside and outside and around that can cause drift, distraction. Uh, just over time, we can find ourselves moving and deteriorating and doing all kinds of Let's not lose our way. We are the beloved children of God who've received the joy of Jesus that it would be our joy and our joy would be full. Let's not drift. We can put it this way. You are beloved. It's your core identity. You have joy. It's been given to you. So now, Represent. Represent the love of Christ. This is our why. This is us. Would you pray with me? Father, that you would love the Son from all of eternity. It makes sense to us. It it holds together. There's a unity in that. The Father loving the Son and the Son loving the Father. Father, we acknowledge the craziness that then you would invite us to participate in all of that. 
We've shown time and time again how selfish and self-consumed and anxious and prideful and angry and all the different things. We let ourselves be defined by a lot of a lot of things that just don't honor you or honor us. On this day, God, would you help us to know whether we currently are coming toward you with a secular mindset or a religious mindset or even if we come toward you with a faithful mindset, would you help us to know deep inside of ourselves that we are eternally loved, that we are the beloved, the recipients of the joy of Jesus Christ, that our very reason for existing as a people is to represent that love in this world, your love in this world. To you be the glory. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.